Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a movie podcast hosted by Movie John's Old Sport and Classic Corner, Grizzly Kex. Me. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we enter the crypt, I thought it would be fun to start each show with a reading of what I'm deeming as my obituary. Basically, a notice or overview of what I have been up to and working on in my life since we last convened. As I mentioned in the previous episode, I made the journey to Toronto last week to attend my third Toronto Film Festival. It was an absolute blast. I spent the entire time in the comfort of the darkened cinema, and I couldn't have been happier. I saw 20 films, and I'm happy to report that I enjoyed most of them quite a bit. I especially enjoyed finding that 10 of the 20 were directed by women. I thought it would be fun to share with you my top three flicks, so here we go. Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Did you fail to dress up for tonight's show? No tie, an old shirt and slacks, a house dress? Well, don't give it a thought. We're glad you came as you are. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. Don't forget to visit our refreshment center during the intermission or any time. You love the tasty array of snacks we have to offer. So will the youngsters. Everything is quality and mm, so good. We hope you'll make this a weekly visit. Bring the family. Bring your friends. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay pleasure. Number one, for all. The Lighthouse. This is the newest film from writer-director Robert Eggers. I found this film to be absolutely haunting. It chilled me to me bones. Starring Robert Pattison and William Defoe, they play two lighthouse keepers that find themselves stranded on a remote yet enchanting island. This movie confirmed for me that I definitely have an obsession with life by the sea and also sea captains. Everything about this film I loved, and I don't want to spoil it for you. It is an experience that I highly recommend you have in the theater. The music is hypnotic. There are definitely moments where you feel a bit on edge even, and my mind literally felt it was drifting out to sea. The black and white photography works so well for this movie. Definitely check it out. The second film that I loved was Waves from writer-director Trey Edward Schultz. I went into this film completely cold, uh, meaning I didn't watch the trailer and I really didn't know anything about it. And wow, it hit me hard. There was some of the story that was very personal to my own experiences and I just wasn't ready for it. Um, But thankfully, I made the decision to buy a glass of wine before entering the theater um, and that was a smart idea. So it tells the story of a family working through situations that arise, basically the ups and downs that life brings and how it affects them. What I love about this movie is the style choices that were made. It is basically two movies in one. The first half is completely manic and off the rails, 
as it tells the story of their son. And then for the second part of the film, the mood completely changes to a more calm and relaxed feeling and tells the story from their daughter's perspective and how she and her family are affected by the actions of her brother. Definitely add this one to your list. It is slated to come out in November. The last flick I'm going to share with you is Bump Along the Way. So this was a feature debut from Shelley Love, a lady from Ireland in her 40s. Now, something that is really awesome about TIFF is that often someone from the film will be there, whether it is the director, the writer, or cast, and they will introduce the film or stick around afterwards for a Q&A. Shelley had the opportunity to introduce her film, and her story of making this movie was so inspiring to me. So apparently the film received funding from Ireland and they even helped provide her with childcare because Shelley is a single mother and I just think that's awesome. But um, I loved hearing about her experience and how she greatly related to the project. She didn't write the film, but she still felt extremely connected to it as it represented a similar situation that she had found herself in. So the focus of the movie is a single mother in her 40s who has a one night stand on her birthday and ta-da, ends up pregnant. So her teen daughter does not react to this news well, and the relationship between the mother and daughter was just so great to watch. And it definitely is not something that I've seen on the screen before, as the mother seemed to be more of a wild child, whereas the daughter was extremely put together and responsible. However, with their impending future of a wee one, they both end up switching roles, which was really fun to watch. And in the end, what seems like a grim future actually turns into a heartwarming mother and daughter tale. I loved it, and I really hope it finds distribution so that everyone can enjoy it. Now, you can find the rest of my list and my snippet reviews on my letterbox at Rosalie Kicks. I also was posting my reactions on the Movie John Instagram, which is at Movie John, um, and that's John with a J, J A W N. I also am posting a picture of my top five on my Instagram, and I will share that on at the old sport, at T H E dot old sport which I will also probably put on the Cinematic Crypt Instagram, so keep an eye out for that. Now, as release dates get closer for these films that I saw, I will be sharing full reviews and my coverage of the fest on moviejohn.com, so keep your eyes peeled. I'm excited for a roundup piece that I'll be doing about a theme I picked up on at the fest, which involves dead moms. Morbid, yeah, but cheery, no. However, I did think it was interesting and something to dig in further. And since we all like corpses, I thought you, my dear listener, would be interested in this article of the future. So again, keep your eyes out for that. Now, I also wanted to just give you an update on the short film I'm working on with my film pals, Katie McBrown and Ian Kimball. 
pizza man. Um, so we have posted some fundraising news over on moviejohn.com slash pizza man. If you are in the local Philly area, make sure to check it out. Um, we're hosting a couple of events coming up. One is on September 29th at Snap custom pizza which is on 15th and sansom from 4 p.m to 8 p.m you have the opportunity to come out make your own pizza and we actually will receive 50 percent of the profits for that day you just need to make sure that you do bring the coupon along with you and you can actually upload it to your phone just again visit moviejohn.com pizza man for more info on that And then on October 7th, we will be hosting a bingo night at Tattooed Moms, which is located on 5th and South Street in Philadelphia. Now, this is a 21 plus event, um, but it starts at 6 p.m. for food and drink, and then games um, will begin at 7 p.m. We will be playing 10 bingo games for $10, and you have the chance to win some pretty rad prizes, including pizza gift cards, and Movie John related swag. Um, We will end the evening by showing a teaser of the film. So I really hope that you come out and, oh, I almost forgot, we'll be having a 50-50 raffle as well. So you can win some cash while you're there. Um, Again, all of this information is on moviejohn.com slash pizza man. So please check it out. And okay, now on with our regularly scheduled program. Make mine the same, only make it with vanilla ice cream and leave off the goo. Okay. I didn't know they let that kind of woman loose anymore. Captain. You should have seen the get up. What a woman. Then maybe Dick knows her. Dick? She was looking for your mother. Yeah? Was she a panic when Pete Lobb went over the fence and she started chasing <laughs> after him? I never saw her before, did you? Who is she? I don't know. I'd sure like to know where she got that paint job. She <laughs> needs a new coat. <laughs> Please relax, climb into your coffin, get comfortable, and join me in the crypt to examine the 1937 film, Stella Dallas, starring Barbara Stanwyck. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that I will be prying open the coffin of Barbara many times over the course of this show. She is one of my favorite actors from the 1930s and 40s, and with 107 film credits to her name, you'll find she has many gems. Now, if you have not seen a Barbara Stanwyck flick and are looking for some recommendations besides Stella Dallas, obviously, I, of course, am going to share with you some of my favorites. Um, The first being Double Indemnity, which she plays Phyllis Dietrichson alongside Fred McMurray. And this is a thrilling depiction of the life of insurance. The next one that I want to share is Lady Eve, which is a Preston Sturgis flick where she plays a card shark that cons a millionaire played by Henry Fonda. And lastly, 
Ball of Fire, which is another favorite of mine that I discovered with my partner in crime, Ben, after we purchased a VHS copy at a local thrift shop. In this Howard Hawks flick, Barb plays a nightclub singer who finds herself hiding out with a bunch of professors who are writing an encyclopedia. Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous, but I love it. And there are so many other flicks of hers that I love. And like I said, it's pretty much a guarantee that I will be revisiting Barbara's Corpse, Um, especially since I have a brick size of a book that I purchased a while back. It's an autobiography by Victoria Wilson that I'm sure will lead me down a path to new films from her. So again, keep your ears out for that. Now to note, I only recently discovered the film Stella Dallas. I had been looking for a flick to write about for the fall 2019 edition of the print movie zine that I co-run, Movie John. So the theme for our next issue is Bad Moms of Cinema, and I stumbled upon Stella Dallas during my search. I always allow Movie John to challenge me to watch movies that I have not seen before, and it has led me to some great corpses, many of which I will introduce to you in later episodes. Now, Stella Dallas was first released as a silent picture in 1925, and then re-released as a talkie in 1937. It is a black and white beauty starring Barbara Stanwyck in the titular role as Stella. Before it became a film directed by King Vitter, it was first a well-known popular 1923 novel written by Olive Higgins Prouty. In 1924, it became a stage play, and after the film's release, later became a radio serial that was on air from 1937 to 1955, and is now known as being one of the first successful soap operas. The story is set in 1919 in Massachusetts. Stella comes from a working-class family who pines for a better life. Both her dad and brother work at the local factory, and she swoons at the high society guys that walk by her home and wants more out of life. She ends up planning this elaborate scheme to get in with the fancies. This plan involves sandwiches. She takes lunch to her brother at work one day, only to learn that he already has stepped out and ends up chatting with one of the higher-ups, an executive at the company, Stephen Dallas. Well, before you know it, he is devouring that sandwich and they are off to see a silent movie picture show together. We learn early on that Stephen Dallas has some baggage of sorts. His father had killed himself after going bankrupt which left Stephen to flee his past life. He left behind his well-to-do fiance with the intention of returning to her once he was financially stable. Well, that is until he learns in the newspaper of her marriage, so he pursues Stella. What I found interesting about this relationship is that Stephen does not want Stella to change or morph into something else. In fact, He likes her for just the way she is. On the other hand, Stella is initially all about changing and wanting to fit into this upper-class lifestyle, even remarking, I want to be like the people in the movies. Simply put, she wants more out of life, 
not necessarily love. She just wants to finally be able to live comfortably. What seems like after a couple laps around a park, they marry and almost a year later have a child, Laurel, played by Anne Shirley, who was nominated for this role. She is amazing, and I definitely want to check out more of her work, as I was not familiar with her previously. When Stella has Laurel, this probably comes as no surprise, but it is basically a situation of a baby having a baby. Initially, Stella seemed interested in the upper crust lifestyle, but now seems to find it dull and boring. She was not ready to settle down. She is wild and refuses to be tamed. It is during this time that she meets the infamous Ed Munn. Oh, Ed Munn. He is the epitome of a drunk uncle. A pretty much unholy nightmare of a man that Stella latches onto. I guess because it's a reminder of her past life? I don't know. I think it is a craving she has for fun. Her husband, Stephen, as much as he is a nice guy, he is rather a stick in the mud. At one point, she even refers to him as an undertaker. The husband one day walks in on Stella entertaining Ed. Ed holding their child, Laurel, who I might add he had blown smoke in the face of like seconds before. There's a cigar in the child's lunch bowl. Stephen is more than displeased. Oh, jeez, oh, Del, she looks more like you every time. <laughs> you remember Uncle Ed, don't you, darling? Well, I remember you. Oh. Ed. Huh? Oh, How's that? Oh, Ed, you shouldn't have done this. Oh, oh. don't she look like a little queen? Oh, and golden turquoise. Oh, Edna, you want a drink, don't you? Sure. And if you don't mind, I'll peel this coat. Oh, sure, go ahead. Uh, what'll it be? Well, you know me, Stella, I ain't protect. So long as it don't jump up and bite me. But I've been drinking bourbon. Uh-huh. What have you been drinking? Oh, nothing. But I'll take bourbon. Ah, oh, jeez, Stella, you ought to have been along. Or maybe you've been having too much fun here. Gosh, and I haven't been out of the house for two months. Been sick? No, but I don't know. I, I don't seem to get any fun out of a good time anymore. All the time I'm out, I'm thinking of her and what she's doing, and how soon I can get back to her. Well, here's hoping I'll always be around at the right time. What are you drinking? Desperella. <laughs> Even the kids drinks, huh? Did you ever catch her snake in your oatmeal? <laughs> Take it and pick her up. Yeah, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> Come on to your Uncle Ed. A chapter from Martha. Did you get a big smile for your Uncle Ed? Oh, of course she had. <laughs> Come on, darling. Smile for Uncle Ed. Come on. Edna? Come on, Norma. Edna! I'll get it. Me too. If I could only see her open that door just once. Oh, you remember Mr. Munn? How do you do? And uh, Carrie Jenkins? Yes, how do you do? How do you do? Uh, uh, I think I'll be getting oh. along. Uh. 
Yes, darling. That's a fine baby you've got there, Mr. Dallas. Thank you, I think so. Uh, i got to be going too, eh? Uh, oh, me too? Right. Yeah, Bob. Oh, I'm well, yeah, j- just a minute. I'll, I'll see you to the door. Yeah, remember, listen, I can't go with you. Remember, listen, I told you about that guy. Thanks for a good time. Bye. Bye. Stella, I can't have our child living this way. What's wrong this time? It's not just this time. It's every time I... What do you mean? Because there was a couple of drinks? Well, what's wrong with that? Coming in here with that icebergy way of yours. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. But she's my child, too. And I won't have this. I haven't wanted to take Laurel away from you, but if you... Take her away from me? What are you talking about? How dare you say such a thing? Give it to me. Now, Stella. Give you, it to me, Stella, I say. Please, you mustn't do this now, Give it Stella. to me. Watch out, you're hurting Stella. her. Get out. Did he frighten Mummy's little girl? Oh, don't you cry. Mummy's right here. Mummy won't let anybody hurt you. You're here with Mummy, and nobody in the whole world is ever going to take you away. Nobody. Well, Ed departs like a scared cat, leaving Stella with Stephen, who at that time announces that he has taken a job to New York, the Big Apple, and would be moving. Stella says goodbye. From here, Stella raises the child practically on her own. Stephen and her legally remain married, but are not figuratively together. He visits from New York every so often, and Stella continues to pal around with Ed Munn, despite the effect it ends up having on her daughter's reputation. To be clear, Stella cares deeply for her daughter, so much so that she sacrifices everything she has for her. She does not have romantic feelings for Ed. Their relationship instead seems to provide her with comfort. She does not have to pretend to be someone else or someone she doesn't know. She can be herself. So while in New York, Stephen bumps into his old flame, Helen, who now finds herself widowed and with three sons, although she's extremely well off. Needless to say, Stephen and Helen pick up where they left off. Okay, I want to just pause for a second here and just talk about why Stella is such a heartbreaking character to me. For one, she married someone not out of love, but for improvement. Her life is filled with loneliness and a constant desire to just want to fit in. And then there's the sacrifices she makes and the fact that she's willing to give up everything for her daughter just so that her daughter can have it better than her. It's really beautiful, but also very sad to me. And actually, one of the saddest scenes for me was after Stella is spotted on a train carousing with Ed Munn by Laurel's teacher. No one shows up for her daughter's birthday party after this event happens. All the beautiful decorations, the cake, and the plans go to waste. There's also a Christmas scene, and thanks to Ed Munn and his turkey, is completely ruined. Ed arrives to Stella's with his turkey that looks like he plucked directly from a farm. He's drunk, and before Stephen Dallas arrives, Stella attempts to hide Ed. 
And for a moment, it seems that the Dallas family may have a nice moment until Ed stumbles out, causing Stephen and the daughter to leave and spend the holiday at Helen's. We next find Stella in an office at an attorney. Her husband wants to file for divorce. The daughter continues to stay by her mother's side, though. Laurel is truly sweet, and the relationship between her and Stella is more of a friendship. For Stella, Laurel is all she has. Of course, yeah, I mean, she has her issues. She sports tacky clothes, elaborate makeup, and has noisy bangle bracelets. But Stella's main mission in life is just to do good for her daughter. She gave her all the things and the opportunities that she didn't have. And this is how she comes to the decision to ultimately give Stephen the divorce and have Laurel move in with Stephen and Helen. Stella even remarks to Helen, in a little while, she'll forget about me. Initially, Laurel rejects this idea, which leads to one of the most devastating moments of the film. Upon her return to Stella's apartment, Stella puts on a trashy show, filling the room with cigarette smoke and states, a woman wants to be something else other than a mother, you know. Laurel returns to Helen and Stephen and is given a letter from Stella. Stella writes that she is marrying Ed and going to South America. Initially, growing up without a father, Laurel now finds herself living the rest of her life without a mother. Laurel remains with Helen and Stephen. I don't think there is any possible way to not cry at the end of this movie, so be forewarned. When witnessing Stella, who is incredibly portrayed by Barbara Stanwyck, standing outside of a window, watching her daughter get married, and then only to be chased away by a guard and treated like trash, it's so sad. This film was part of a genre known as maternal melodrama. These types of films were often referred to as women's pictures, and they tended to cater to a female audience and were produced from the silent era through the 1950s and early 60s. They found their most popularity, though, during the 30s and 40s. These films tended to be made for women, but by men. They were often a huge hit at the box office. Plots of women's films tended to focus on love triangles, unwed motherhood, illicit affairs, the rise to power, and mother-daughter relationships. Cinema historian Janine Bassinger proclaims that there are three purposes to a women's picture during this time. One was to place a woman at the center of the story, Two, to reaffirm in the end the concept that a woman's true job is that of being a woman. So, for example, these films would tend to leave the audience with the idea that romance is what they should aspire to, and that this is the only career that will ensure happiness. Hmm. And lastly, provide a temporary visual liberation of some sort, however small whether it be an escape into a purely romantic love, into sexual awareness, into luxury, or into the rejection of the female role. 
Bassinger felt that the core of women's film was that the character had to make a choice. They had to decide which path to take, and often those that showed the road less traveled ultimately suffered. For Stella, she realized that her daughter would go much farther in life without her. Does this make her a bad mom? Eh, For me, I came to the conclusion that Stella was immature when she had her daughter. She was not ready for the commitment and the responsibility. She was so eagerly wanting to get away from her current life and haphazardly stepped into a new one that she knew nothing about. In the end, her choices caused her extreme heartbreak. Now, Barbara Stanwyck was nominated for a Best Actress Oscar for her role as Stella. And in watching the film, it is easy to see why. She goes through a physical transformation to play this role. Throughout the course of the hour and 46 minute feature, Stella is witnessed aging about 20 years. In the later years, Stanwyck even donned lumpy padding around her torso and legs. She wore multiple pairs of stockings to beef up her ankles and at times stuffed cotton in her cheeks to give them a plump appearance. Here's another interesting fact. This was the first time in her career as an actress that Barbara agreed to bleach her hair for the part of Stella. In previous flicks, she elected to wear a wig. Now, wigs still make an appearance within Stella Dallas as well, for those who are keeping count. She did make an effort to have this character, though, be as realistic as possible. She was also dressed in some wild ensembles, which were designed by Goldwyn's head designer, Omar Kim. All of this was meant to portray Stella's lack of taste and prove how she didn't fit in. I enjoyed this film a lot and definitely related to several moments. I couldn't help but be reminded of my own childhood and my interactions with my late grandmother, who I share a name with and an affinity for fire. Now, growing up, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with my grandparents as I worked with them and helped run their produce business. I'd like to believe my grandmother always had the best of intentions. Even that time when she showed up at my dance recital and gave me a bag of orange dusted cheese curls. All the other girls got flowers, but I got a bag of corn curls. How perfect for a child dressed in a white tutu. (laughs) My point is that despite her kooky behavior, mismatched socks, and wild hair, my grandmother always wanted me to have it better than she did. And I feel the same way about Stella. But I want to tell you what Ethel told me. Do you remember that funny-looking woman parading around the grounds this afternoon? No, I didn't see her, but Joe was... didn't see her, she can't be described. I'll tell you, she was quite a number. Dresses up to here and paint an inch thick. And bells on her shoes that tinkled all the oh, time. Oh. Bells. And braces up to here that clanked. You never saw such a sight. Anyway, do you know who she was? Who? Laura Dallas's mother. Laura no. Dallas? Why, I can't believe it. You mean that pretty little girl Dick Grobner's been rushing? Yes. Didn't you know her? But are you sure? She seems so lovely and sweet. I know it. Isn't it weird? Perhaps such a common-looking creature for a mother? Mm. Poor thing. Poor nothing. She's wearing Dick Grosvenor's fraternity piece. She won't be wearing it long, I'll Not when Mrs. Grosvenor hears about it. Your bags are ready, ladies. Oh, Thank all right. you, Pink. 
Stella was just out there doing the best she can with what she was given. Was she the best mom? I mean, I think those Ed Munn hangouts were rather questionable, but she wasn't a terrible mother. I encourage you to seek out the film Stella Dallas. I borrowed it from my local library, but recently purchased the flick on DVD for about $10. It also seems to be available on many streaming sites. After you watch Stella Dallas, let me know what you think. You can drop me a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. Don't be a stranger. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt. With Halloween just around the corner, it is time to get spooky with silence. I'm talking about silent films. During the month of October, I will be uncovering a couple of spooky silent films, starting with the late director Robert Wien's film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Possibly to your surprise, I've yet to see this film and can't think of a much better time to watch it than at the spookiest time of year. I hope you tune in. So until next time, film pals, don't forget to visit moviejohn.com shop to subscribe to our latest print zine and find it in your mailbox. It features writings about bad moms of cinema. It also features a beautiful cover design by our art director, Hugo Marmuji, who I also have to give credit for our podcast logo. The cover is of Norman Bates from Psycho with none other than the illustrious Mother Bates. Also, I want to give a shout out to Ashley Jane Carruthers. Thanks, Ashley, for providing our intro music and the other tunes that you hear throughout the show. Well, it is now time to close the coffin. So here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote compliments of Stella Dallas. I've always been known to have a stack of style. Goodbye, film pals. I do dream. Dreams that you could never guess. You will strike.